Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Serial Joe Quinn. Episode 938 of the Real Deal Podcast. Champs looking like chumps. We'll talk about that, but before we get into it, uh, a couple of things. Uh, I've made this announcement short before. Uh, I think I'm, I want to say the last podcast, and definitely I might post it on social media. That this will indeed be the last semi-live podcast of 2023. All the other all the podcasts that, you, that you're going to hear in December will have been uh, pre-recorded. Uh, any stuff that I record moving forward is going to be going push forward to 2024. So yes, I will be recording more podcasts before this month is over. You're just not going to hear it until 2024, whether it be interviews or even the rest of the uh, season three of Snowfall, which I believe I put, put five episodes out there. So I have five, you know, there are five episodes left. Actually still have to record two more episodes. The final two episodes haven't been recorded yet, but uh, we're almost right, we're almost done that. Um, done with that uh, chapter of the Real Deal podcast history in terms of uh, Snowfall. So this is again, the one, the last podcast that I will record, and you will hear in the month of December. So, you know, take a couple of weeks off. We'll get recharged and ready for 2024. We begin, as always, with all the thoughts staying alive. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are able to get by the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City 2017, third straight year that the Bills have defeated Buffalo. Excuse me, that the Bills have defeated the Chiefs. All the games in Kansas City, by the way. So they they are in Kansas City in the regular season. They're three and zero their last three years. Of course, Kansas City has got the last laugh in the play in the postseason, particularly that all time classic a couple years ago, and during the twenty twenty one season uh, with the you know forty two thirty six. So, but this game wasn't even close to that as far as quality of play, and considering where these two teams uh, are at uh, as in. As in uh, years past, so both these, neither one of these teams are even anywhere near what they once were. Even going back a year ago, like it's not, they're not even close to the teams that that they are that they were, uh, and that definitely stood out in this game. Um, first of all, get to, and I I plenty on Kansas. City. I I actually wanted because it's a, I, I actually start with the Buffalo stuff because I got a lot on Kansas City. Listen, if you're Buffalo, you absolutely take this win. This is their was their best win of of the season against a team that's going to go to the playoffs, probably going to win that division. Uh, we know the Chiefs, even with their offensive struggles, they still have Mahomes, and they still and their defense is a legit top five defense this year. They six six in yards and third in points allowed. So, the Kansas City, though they probably won't win a Super Bowl this year. You go up there and win the game that you absolutely had to win. You had to be impressed if you're Sean McDermott. Uh, you've had quality. Now you've had, for the first time in a long time, back-to-back quality wins. Uh, last week, they outplayed Philadelphia and should have won. And this week, you get the win over the other Super Bowl participant from, from, uh, from last season. Um, now, listen, it, the, like, the offense is the offense at this point. Yes, uh, you count on Josh Allen as well as you should be, and I, I'm gonna get into that in a second. That whole this whole narrative about there's too much on Josh Allen, uh, it's a bunch of garbage. But 
Listen, the offense is the offense. Um, until they get that situated in the offseason, whatever happens, this is how they, you know, there are going to be times where the offense, the offense looks spectacular, and there are going to be times where they look like a, a, a just a bottom of the third league offense. It's just I would, I would love to – I can't figure it out. Um, I mean, again, we've had theories about you know this whole idea of offensive philosophies of uh, organizational philosophies and everybody not being on the same page. We understand that everybody is not on the same page as far as coach, general manager, owner, vice, uh, and front office, we, front office per, uh, personnel. We we get that, but you know Buffalo and we'll get to Allen. Look at the AFC. They are like I said. They are they are. In a nice, they are in the spot where they're going to obviously go four and one to to get to the to get to the playoffs. But I'm telling you right now, you just the way that the way the AFC is looking right now, just getting the playoffs. There's no one that's like I'm looking at the landscape of the AFC. No one scares me. Like, like no one. Again, the Joe Burrow injury was again was just was one of those injuries that will not be talked about enough. Uh, in the immediate, but we're gonna look back and say that injury could have definitely changed the landscape of the entire uh, of the AFC, my of, of the AFC, because I would take a healthy Cincinnati team with a healthy Joe Burrow over anything that I see right now in the playoffs. Anything that I see. So if you're Buffalo, I to get to get uh, bring it back to Buffalo. Just get the post. Just get in the playoffs. Don't worry about this season. Just get in the playoffs. You you have absolutely an opportunity to do damage if you get in the playoffs. Okay, Kansas City. Um, listen, and no, let me get back. Let me one last thing on, on Buffalo. I get to Kansas City because I have a lot on Kansas City. I don't want to hear about Josh Allen being given too much to do and too much is is riding on Josh Allen. When you are paying a guy like top dollar as a franchise quarterback, as a guy who's a legit top five quarterback, he's uh, going to be, you know, a year in and year out an MVP candidate. There's no giving him too much, him having too much to do. That, that doesn't, that logic, that narrative, it doesn't exist. I don't want to hear it. Especially when you know, he has talent on the offensive end. Offensive end. This is what get. This is what happens when you get paid like a superstar franchise quarterback. You, your talent, your ability to make guys better affords. You know, it. It. it first of all, you have to be that guy if your team is going to have any success because you're not going to, be able to afford afford everybody. I think right now. You know the way it stands, you can you can get get away with paying one receiver, offensive line intact, so one dynamic offensive alignment, and that's it. You can't have uh, you cannot have multiple pay multiple receivers. And with that being said, with with a quarterback like Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, I could Lamar Jackson, who are going to eat up your salary cap. And them eating up your salary cap, they again, they have to do the most. That's just the way it is. 
quarterback gets too much blame the team loses, too much of the credit the team wins. That's just the way it is. So I again I don't want to hear about the whole well, Josh is too much on his shoulders. He has a big he has big shoulders. And again, when you are the guy, you are you are supposed to make up for any holes or a lot of the holes, cover a lot of the holes that the team that the team has, period, point blank. That is a part of, you know, playing the most important position in team sports. So, you know, it is what it is. Like I can't I don't sit up here and coddle Josh Allen. When he's playing well, when he's running around, you know, you're calling him, yeah, you know, this guy could be a, could win a multiple MVPs. And he's Josh Allen's wow, we've never seen anybody he's one of the strongest arms we've ever seen. Okay, cool. He does have all that physical talent. And he can be overpowering as a as a just offensive weapon, especially when the balance of run pass is that is in a nice rhythm, which has been rare this season for Buffalo. So he can overwhelm your defense. Um, we know what he can do, but the bottom line is, I like I don't, yeah, you, you like you, when you're making that type of money. You know, I get I get to the money. I say I speak speak on the money because that is you know how you manage your money in the NFL is a part of whether not how successful your team is going to be in terms of managing the salary cap and not wasting on certain positions. Quarterback is a position that's going to get paid. You're pretty, you, you don't even have to be a superstar, superstar quarterback to get top dollar anymore. That's how bad quarterback it is, and that's how important it is. So Josh Allen again, is one of the handful of the best guys in the league. It's, it comes with the territory. Um, as far as Kansas City goes, listen, like I so you saw that outburst with Patrick. First of all, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid don't have a leg to stand on. There's there's zero excuse for a guy, a starting NFL receiver to line off offside in 2023. Now again, these guys don't play a lot in preseason, but it doesn't matter between mini camps, between you know OTAs, between whatever like whatever, between the the that the countless reps you do in practice. If you cannot line up as an offensive player onside. I get a pass rusher being all sides because you're trying to jump, you're trying to catch the um, snap count and time to snap count is like that first outburst is literally between could be the difference between you sacking the quarterback or a touchdown pass. So I get all sides from a defensive player. I get I understand that offensive player is zero excuse. This is no excuse. And listen, Kansas City has been burnt by this before on the defensive side. It cost them. A chance, it cost them a, a Super Bowl appearance in 2018. They were better. They probably had pound, pound, pound were the best team in the NFL, and they had the Patriots dead to rights after get you know, and I believe it was an incomplete pass. Uh, they could have ran a clock out, but Chris Jones is offside. Cost it just like don't even went on to win the game. Like so, this is not you know, it's been an epidemic for uh, Kansas City in big spots with, the, with being offsides. But yeah, there's no zero excuse. For that, uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes in particular, uh, did not have a leg to stand on as far as the complaining about the officiating. The officials absolutely made the right call. The official after during after the game uh, at OMBC said made it a point to say we are they are emphasizing this in 2023. Like period, they are it's been called 11 times in 2023. So the emphasize, I'm sure a, a letter went around. 
or email, whatever, went around the league, the, these teams, various, the, all 32 teams said, hey, we're, you know, the, in terms of rules, the rules and things of that nature, we're going to be looking at this more closer. But what Patrick Mahomes said was not about the officials. And that outburst was not about the officials. That outburst was, let me just point the finger in every every direction except where it should be, and that's my wide receivers. That was Patrick Mahomes, in a, in a sense, protecting himself from himself because he the frustration had got to a point to where it just had to come out. If they lost this game, it was going, and if they lost this game and the offense struggled like it had like it has been the entire season. Again, another game under twenty points for the Chiefs. That is what six games under twenty points this season. Their offense he has yet to crack, hasn't even cracked 300 points yet. It went through, what, 14 weeks. Um, again, they are on pace for the worst, they're by easily their worst offensive season in the Andy Reid, uh, Patrick Bones era, which started back his first full season was 2018. So that was Patrick Mahomes getting out all the frustration that he had, that had been pinned up for the basically the entire season. It had to come out somehow. It had to come out. It was that was not about an official official's call. That call, that call was as clear as day. I mean, how can there's no debating that? It's all he's off sides. He was clear. Again, it wasn't like by a centimeter or a millimeter. He, dude, his toe, his body, it was clearly offside. The official has to make that call. An official that doesn't make that call, I, he probably won't do a playoff game. That's how egregious of a of a call that would have been had they had not called had it been missed. You have to make that call. It's like it, I would have been official. It would have been with the, with the quickness I made that call. But it wasn't about that. It was about Patrick Mahomes getting out all that pent up frustration. Their receivers, uh, Valdez Scanlon and Cardi uh, and uh, Cardi is uh, how pronounce his name. Cardias Tony combined five catches of 47 yards. Five catches of 47 yards. And Brady had to go through this similar, looked up some years, because remember, before, uh, it was kind of in between, uh, this is before they got Randy Moss. This is before Gronkowski and Hernandez. This is before Moss and Wells Walker. There was a couple of seasons following the 2004 Super Bowl win. Uh, 05 and 06. Both years they make the playoffs, but this is where the offensive talent hit a, hit a low in the Brady Belichick era as far as personnel. They had receivers in that. They, the two years they were, you know, 26 and 8. One year got to the divisional, one year got to the conference championship. So that, it wasn't horrible. Uh, they weren't, they were still in the mix, but offensively they were lacking. Um, you're talking about these were Brady, Brady's receivers during those that two year period. Rashad Caldwell, David Gibbons, Ben Watson, Deion Branch, an old older Deion Branch, and Troy Brown. That was their receivers. And even Belichick was like, eh, nah. Yeah, we can't like nah, we can't do this. Can't win like this. Especially remember, that's the that was the miraculous comeback that Peyton Manning made. I think they were now 21-6 in the AFC champ, the 05, 8, 06 AFC Championship. And New England took, took a look at their uh, roster and say, 
to compete. This is prime. This is Peyton Manning in his absolute prime. To compete with that guy, we're going to have to score some points. Because Peyton Manning had figured him out in that second half to where they were no longer going to be where we could, we could shut him down or keep him or 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 have him be average to be yoker in the game. No, he's figuring us out. Figuring us out. He's going to, we're going to have to score some points. And they go out and get Wes Walker, of course, Randy Moss and Dante Stallworth. They lo- and, and of course, you know, we know what happened in 2007, 18 and one, and the rest was history. But Kansas City now is in that 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 mode, that stage of phase of this run to where it, it you got to reload offensively. I don't care. I mean, Andy, Andy Reid's one of the smartest offensive plug guys that we've seen of this generation and one of the great offensive minds ever. Don't, I don't care about your play calling, your schemes. You got to have at least one outside threat. Kelsey, no luck. Again, I told you what to do. I, I told you what the deal was a few weeks ago, what I would do with Kelsey. It is very simple. I'm like neutralizing him. And taking my chances with everybody else. I dare everybody else to beat me one on one, but he's not beating me. And, you know, this game, six catches, 83 yards. He is also uh, an aging tight end. I know he's coming off an all pro season last year, but he's not getting any younger. Started talking, uh, have, there was some hints of retirement with some of his, you know, some, some with, with some of the, uh, uh, his comments over the course of this season. Has, has gone through a lot of it, has had uh, some, you know, uh, surgery done on his body. Uh, so it's time to reset if you're Kansas City. It, it just is offensively. Um, again, you cannot waste these prime years of Patrick Mahomes. You can't waste these years with, with this. Those receivers this year have been um, have been hard to watch. They have been so bad with between the drops and now not being on the lineup onside. And they, again, I you would, if you're Patrick Mahomes, I, you just can't imagine what the level of frustration when you've been, especially when you've been used to just either having a great, great receiver, you know, with a, you know, with a guy like Tyreek Hill who made everything easy, or just having a professional guy like even having just regular, just professionals who can make the tough catches, run the right routes, and just and catch the damn ball. Like it's just that simple. Their receivers have just too many drops. Like they drop everything, those receivers. Like I said, this is going to be the worst offensive season Kansas City has had, maybe even going back to since Andy Reid has got there. It's, it's on pace to be to be that. Teams, Dallas, San Francisco, Redux. We get another possible conference championship between Dallas and San Francisco. We saw some. We've seen some classics. Uh, the catch, of course, with Jimmy Johnson. Uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Troy Aikman. You know, taking on Steve Young in the, in the early '90s, those three straight championship games, Dallas winning two of them. Matter of fact, the conference championship game '92 was really uh, ignited the Dallas dynasty that would go on to win three Super Bowls in four years, including back to back. So, right, I mean, listen, it's still a lot of party played, of course, but these two teams are the two best teams in the conference, if not the two best teams in the league. Right now, I think Baltimore, I still probably would lean towards Baltimore. Dallas, but Dallas is definitely uh, amongst the top three or four teams in the league. And San Francisco, you know, when they're healthy, they're San Francisco. It's just all that to it. They are the most complete team and the best team in football when healthy. Right now, they are they are relatively uh, healthy for the most part. Game of the week, 
Baltimore gets by the Rams 37-31. This is a very good game. The Rams have played top competition, whether it be the Eagles, minus the Cowboys, whether it be the Eagles, the 49ers, uh, and now the Ravens, very tough over the course of the season. They've been, the Rams have played very well this season. Uh, I understand that they're six and seven now. I get it. That's going, you know, you know, they're still in the playoff hunt. Um, they always have not been easy to watch this season, but again, they've been very feisty. Played hard in just about every game. Have only got they got smacked a couple of times. Dallas smacked them, but for the most part, their games have been extremely competitive, and it was no different in this game. Um, this was a rare game that that, that Baltimore had to win with his with this out with its offense. As the defense uh, struggled, Matthew Stafford was spectacular in this game, throwing the football. He really was. And again, the Rams played a very good game. Uh, I don't. I'm not knocking Baltimore at all uh, because this, the Rams. You know, are, I, I'm not saying they're going to that they're better than their record because your record says you are what you are. But uh, they they have definitely outperformed any expectation that I, expectation that I had for them. So. I don't think again, Baltimore deserves any criticism for that game being close. Uh, the Rams have, I mean, like I said, Rams have Stafford threw the ball well. They still have Cup. They still have some weapons on offense, not where it once was, but defensively, uh, they have some young players on defense. And again, as a team, they just play hard every game. So this was a, again, a very good game. You get a punt return to uh, a walk-off punt return. Obviously, a difficult way to lose, but the Rams had nobody to blame with themselves. They had a possession in the overtime. That's all you can ask for, especially when you don't win the toss. A possession that you know the defense got the, got Baltimore off the field. You have a possession, you absolutely do uh, nothing with it. So you're not more times than not you're not going to get a second possession, uh, especially on the road. Uh, so Baltimore, uh, you know, gets you know gets by again. I. You know, I'm still not completely sold on Baltimore, even though I like their team more so now than I've had in past years. It's just something about Baltimore that you just don't completely trust. Some of the fourth quarter things could be, and, you know, we got to see Lamar in the postseason. We got we to see Lamar finally have that breakout postseason performance before we I, before I could be completely sold on Baltimore. But again, if Baltimore gets home field, they're gonna be that's a it's a very tough place to play. And I will say that their defense minus this game has been uh significantly better than they were last year. Marquee game um turned out to be a basically a, a complete mismatch. The Dallas Cowboys completely outclassed, outplayed and outclassed the Philadelphia Eagles thirty three to thirteen. Um the Eagles getting just can't defend anyone. Like they, their defense has no chance. And you combine that with the three turnovers they had. Dallas got on top. Dallas has been dominant at home. I think they up to they're up to fifteen straight. They they're destroying people at home. Uh you saw what happened to the commanders. Uh we see them, you know, 40, 49, 17 against the Giants. So they've really had their way. Uh they destroyed the Rams. It won a few games that the Rams were not competitive in. I think that was like forty to twenty three. So you know, listen, Cowboys are playing. I, you know, I, I hate them, but you gotta give them credit where credit due. Credit's due. They're playing great football right now. Um, I get the postseason is a whole other animal. Aren't they? We know the play calling, the situational game, 
you know, situational, how they play the situational football is not good. I don't trust McCarthy uh, completely in a big spot. So I, again, it, there's still some things to be critical of, of the Cowboys. But like I said, there's no dominant team out there right now. Why couldn't the Cowboys get to a Super Bowl? Like, there's no, there's no dominant team out there. Now, again, their their toughest matchup might end up, you know, being the being possibly in the AFC Championship if they do, if you know, if they stay in those uh, one of those top two seeds with San Francisco. Because I get the AFC right now is just, you know, it's Baltimore, eh, and then Kansas. The way Kansas City is inconsistent, as Kansas City has looked at times. Buffalo is inconsistent. No Joe Burrow. I mean, who else is out there in the AFC? Uh, Miami loses a horrible game last year, last season. Excuse me, last night against um, against Tennessee. But getting back to Dallas, I like there. This is this could be a year that they could make a long, long run. Uh, right now they rank top three in defense, rank top four in offense. Um, and again, they've destroyed the uh, lesser opponents. There are teams that have been struggling with lesser opponents, not Dallas. Dallas has absolutely destroyed those. Now, again, it, I, I have to see it in the playoffs. Well, completely so. I, before, I, before I believe it. Um, but they certainly right now, along with San Francisco, are playing the best football uh, in the conference. And it may be a situation where it's not about what Dallas doesn't do, doesn't do in regards to choking or what have you. It may be that this year could be a year the rest of the NFL has just it's just not good. We've been on this team, but with the quarterback just being horrible, which you know, you look up, you got fucking Joe Flacco. <laughs> I know he played well, but damn, Joe Flacco, really? Still in the league. Uh so with the quarterback questions, they have a guy right now who's the, the league candidate MVP of Dak Prescott. So that question has been answered uh, this season in a, in, in a major way. As far as Philadelphia, again, I don't know how Philadelphia can get out of this because the defense is just, it's a joke. And last week it was the linebackers who got eight up. This week it was the cornerbacks. I mean, Bradbury, Darius Slade got lit up in this game. I mean, lit up and that ego trademark uh physicality was did not exist. Dallas physically at the opposite line destroyed the Eagles defensive line and won the point of uh, of attack. Well uh, absolutely won the point of attack on more ca- on more cases on more downs than than none than others. And that is just something you don't see teams push physically push around the Eagles. And again, the Eagles you see the, the Eagles getting outgained you know, by 100 yards here, 150 yards there. When you see that, that means you, well, number one, you can't stay off. You give it up. If you give it up a ton of yards, you have a trouble time, having uh, a difficult time getting off the field on third down. And number two, teams are just physically pushing you around. They're doing whatever. They're able to run the ball, throw the ball, have time for their quarterback to throw the ball. So they are physically manhandling the Eagles. And that that is the part that would make me nervous if I'm Sirianni. Like, we pride ourselves on physicality, on being the bully. When the bully is getting punched back in his mouth or the mouth and they're not recovering, they have nothing. They're, they're not fighting back. I'll show any resistance whatsoever. Dallas is not the most physical team in the league. 
They are a fast team. They are, they, you know, they can run a little power, but that's not like they want to get those to get the ball outside to their receivers now because of some of the trust, more of the trust they have with Prescott. They, they're not a smash. I, I don't think Dallas is a smash mouth team like I do Baltimore. So that physicality, Eagles lose that. They, you have nothing. And again, it's it's very interesting when when these teams start getting in love, falling in love with their offense, and forget their defensive principles. They start getting caught up in their scoring, and then all of a sudden their defense is you look up, you look down, look up, and say, "Oh, where's, what happened to the defense? Where, where's like our trademark used to be winning at the winning at the point of attack with the defense? That used to be the Eagles' trademark, especially defensively. Now this defense is a joke." It's absolute their defense is an absolute joke. So I don't know how they can fix it. I really don't. I uh, you uh, again you cannot win you're not winning a Super Bowl with a defense uh in the lower half, like in the twenties in the regular season. Um just not gonna win that way. And their offense hasn't been spectacular this year as well. I mean they average at twenty six points, which is still top five, but it has not I remember last year, uh, you know, the Eagles averaged, you know, over 30 points a game last year. They averaged about 28 last year. But they still, that's still two points. So they're two points now, which in the NFL is a lot. Considering the margin of victory is, is mostly small in, in a lot of these tight, uh, closely contested games. So I don't have it. Well, I do have it here. So who won the week in the deep dive? I'll combine both of them because they're, they're basically one of the same. Uh, so Cheryl Tani, now um, pitcher, and now player with the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, signs a contract uh, for seven hundred million dollars, ten years, seven hundred million dollars, six hundred eighty million of it deferred. Um, over the course of the contract, he's only going to receive. I should say say only like market like like two million dollars is not a lot of money, but he'll receive two million dollars over the course of ten years. Um, this, of course, is a luxury. Tax-free contract. Uh, the deferments will come. I guess they would. Uh, he's at the age thirty-nine. He basically, he, he's basically done uh, baseball and with you know sixty-eight million dollars over a ten-year period. There also so there are more other details I get into, which you know you can look up if you want to on Sports Track uh, for the, for any more in-depth details about this contract. A historic sports contract. You saw the the uh, reaction from the other athletes who, of course, pay attention when it comes to the money, pay attention to this type of stuff. Uh, listen, it's, it's just a just perfect timing. He's playing the right sport at the perfect time, and he's one of the most unique players in the history of the sport. Right now, he is the clear-cut best player in baseball and the most valuable commodity, commodity in baseball considering what he can do. Talking about a guy that, in essence, is the modern day Babe Ruth. We've never seen a player like this. I don't know too many people that were around when Babe Ruth was playing baseball. Probably that number is minuscule, uh, to say the least. So, this is a guy who has single handedly electrified the sport. I'm telling you right now, I, I was down on the little baseball that I have watched in the last couple of years. He's been, I've watched it, it's him 90% of the time, more times than not, who I've watched it to see. You're talking about a guy who, you know, listen, he won't pitch in 2024, but if you told me the next three or four years that he's going to win a side young, I would not be surprised. 
Offensively, again, he is a guy like we know he's won two unanimous MVPs, which tells you, you I mean, unanimous MVPs. So, you know, the history of these contracts is not it has not been good um, in terms of the team winning. Only in the, Latin, the top 10 contracts of all time, only Corey Seager has won a championship this year. Corey Seager signed and had a, a 10-year deal for like $325 million um, a few years ago. Uh, so only somewhere in that city, only Corey Seager with the Texas Rangers has won a championship. But if you're the Dodgers, this you have to make this deal. Like this guy, like just you have to make it. Like you have to, especially if, if, if he's going to be as friendly as he was and as accommodating as he was with the contract. It's, it's almost, it's absolutely a bust. And again, he what he tells you what he first of all how badly he wanted to play in L.A. But it also tells you how smart he is as far as he's going to get his money, and he makes he's in a unique position to where he's making so much money with endorsements that instead of what he's going to make, he's coming in and making fifty million dollars a year in endorsements. That you can take that to like sixty him being a Dodger with that legendary brand that they have. So you're talking about guy. With Essence will be making like between 50 and 52 and 62 million dollars, uh, just off endorsements and his and a, ba- and, and a base salary. Uh, that's not playing checkers, that's playing chess. You get yourself with a, the franchise that you absolutely want to play for, it's in Los Angeles. You allow the team to make moves that doesn't cripple their their the salary cap, and that's what the luxury tax is in baseball, it's a salary cap, and they can go out there and get other players. And, of course, we know the Dodgers always have one of the best farm systems in baseball, like year in, year out, as far as player development. that That's never been an issue for them. Uh, even in the lean years, that wasn't an issue. So, again, somebody interesting to see. Somebody interesting to watch the impact of this contract because and the impact of how it was structured. If I'm in the NFL, I am studying this for my quarterback. My superstar quarterback that gets paid like that much gets paid that type of money to where I can maybe I can talk a superstar quarterback who's making a lot of has a lot of endorsement money into deferring money. Like I'm really you have to with these salary caps becoming like tighter, and even though there's a lot of money, television money coming in basketball, you have to um, you if you're a general manager, somebody in the front office, you are you have to find a a creative advantage, a loophole somehow to get an edge. Because it's not just about having the best players anymore. It's a big that's a big part of it, but you have to even having the best players does not guarantee you success or to even a, or let alone a championship. You have to be dynamic in the front office. I mean you just have to even in order to have a chance. I mean, you know, Milwaukee may not have enough right now. They've had they have two of the top probably fifteen players in the league including Two guys who are on the all seventy five fifth anniversary team, and they it might not be enough because of you know some moves that they've had. They've had some uh, moves that they've made that have cost them some resources. And again, it, the room for error is small in the front office. So if I'm a if I'm a front office of another like in another league, I'm looking at how we can. I'm looking at this contract and I'm studying how it was done. I really am. Especially in football 
in basketball. Like this guy, uh, again, he's not going to pitch in 2024, um, but he is absolutely must see TV. Uh, again, I don't listen. Usually, I would knock the Dodgers say, "Hey, another superstar, another another uh, hitter." You get both with this dude. Are you going to get a pitcher? You get a top hitter and a top pitcher. I don't know what. Like I don't get. It. He's not going to pitch this year, but the Dodgers will are basically good every year. It's just when they get in the postseason. And again, this guy, he's going to, like, maybe he's the difference with that puts you over the top of the postseason. Maybe the, the pressure will not affect him from that standpoint, that he's been in a spot like that. You know, we, get to, we, get to, we will get to see him in the postseason this year. So, a uh, great move by the Dodgers. Uh, and, of course, he absolutely won the week. Before I get the real thoughts, uh, week week uh, week fifteen, a uh, couple of big games. Uh, Dallas, you have Dallas versus Buffalo, which should be a very good game. Both teams playing well, especially Dallas. Baltimore, Jacksonville, uh, which is a Sunday night game. Again, that that is uh, talking about home field advantage in top. You know, another uh, important tiebreaker game for for in terms of the head to head. And Seattle Philadelphia, which should be very interesting to see where uh, Philly's head is at right now. Uh, how much are, are they a team that, with their pedigree of winning and going to the Super Bowl last year, you know, can they get out this little hole? They're not in a ditch. They're in a hole, they're in a hole right now. Are they? Can they get out this? I guess the Seattle team that you know is fighting for a playoff spot. And it's not a walkover by any stretch of imagination. So I, you know, I, I'm very curious to watch Philadelphia in this in, in this particular game from a mental standpoint. I want to see how tough they are, or you know, are they are they on a spiral that they won't be able to recover from? So the in season tournament, the NBA, in terms of real thoughts, the NBA in season in season tournament was absolutely a success. I wasn't high on it. In the beginning, but the ratings, the excitement, uh, the especially the last week uh, lead up to the championship, the matchup, the, you got the perfect matchup of big time market star power as well as up the coming superstar in Tyrese Halliburton, and you know fun, young, exciting Indiana Pacer team that you know is, plays a game like the nineteen ninety. Like the ninety year uh 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 rebels in terms of just track me, don't turn your head. Uh one of the highest scoring teams, one of the most best offensive teams of all time, as far as just points and things of that nature and field goal percentages. And so they you got everything you wanted uh out of it. I I don't know what, what the Lakers are doing in terms of hanging a banner. That's just that's wild to me that you have uh your seventeen time champion. And you want to hang an in-season banner? I, in-season banner? I, I don't get that. But anyway, um, a success. Uh, NBA has a lot of smart people. They'll tweak it. It'll be better next year. And I, I would be. I feel like I'll be all completely in on it uh, next year. But that wasn't a big story from the in-season tournament. Biggest story from the in-season tournament was Zion Williamson, who right now. 
career is at a crossroads, to say the least. Now, you look at his numbers. Where you, like, surreal, what the hell are you talking about? He's actually 23, almost 23, 5 shooting 58%. Uh, it's still devastating in the post area uh, around the basket. If you saw him in that Laker game when, where the Lakers beat the Pelicans by like 800 gazillion points, biggest game of his career up to that point, and, you know, had been in the postseason, healthy. And he came out there like it was just another game for another, uh, on a Tuesday night in January or something. Going against, you're, you're in Las Vegas, you're going against LeBron James. I don't know what else in terms of motivation that could get you going. And I think with Zion, I'm telling you, it's a, it was a perfect storm of you go from structure and discipline to Duke and not really making anybody, let's put it that way, to being the face of the franchise, not a very strong organization as far as from a, fresh, from a standpoint of a franchise. Like, he has, like, all the power. You get the big, you get your second contract, the big contract, and now you just, you're coasting. You're coasting on your talent. You have no one to hold you accountable. Um, Charles Barkley had Moses Malone Moses way back when. Yo, you need to get your fat ass in shape. That's exactly that's what he said to Charles Barkley. He said, Barkley to this day says that changed the trajectory of his career. Like, he probably would have ate himself out the league if not for Moses Malone. Whereas there's no, forget about any Moses Malone on that team. There's not even a veteran presence. There's not even a solid veteran presence that, to get it to buy him to that could get into his head on that team. Sorry, CJ McCollum is not it. Respect it. I know he had this, this stuff with the player association and what have you is visible there. See the more ESPN, but he's not like these young guys, this like making the most money on, on the team matters in a real way, especially in twenty twenty three. The guys that make the most money basically run the team. That's just how it is. And the majority of them are younger players. The majority of them. So we've seen a number of young guys sign these just uh, off the charts contract extensions. Um, New Orleans has, you know, they they're gonna have to they're gonna have to hope and pray that he turns himself around. There's nothing that I would see that like we for a dude that's like 25 years old, 26. I don't think he's even 26. He probably is 24. 25, 20, probably 24 years old. He, he's way too young to be talking about fitness issues and eating habits. Like, what do you like? That's like, if I'm talking about your conditioning at this age, then it's clearly where you, you show me where your head is at. That you're, that, you're, that you're not committed to basketball, fully committed to basketball. Like, we're supposed to be talking about skills. Like, yo, you need to add a jump shot. You need to tighten up on your handle. You need to become a better passer. It's supposed to be talking about your conditioning. And you're the, fran- the, the supposed franchise player. We gotta talk, I'm talking about your conditioning. And again, that filters down to the rest of the team. Why would I follow? You want me to follow this dude? Yeah, I know he can play. He's our best player from a talent standpoint. But what about his work habits? What about his work habits? Is he? Do you think this dude's gonna lead us to a championship? 
that trust me, those other players are thinking about these things. They are. I promise you. They are. And again, leadership, you could be a bad leader of people like, and still be a leader. You could be bad and still be considered a leader. Leadership is not just, it's not just, a, you know, if you say someone is a leader, that doesn't exactly mean that that's a good thing because they could be a bad leader. Over the course of history, we've seen some bad leaders over the course of history in all facets of life. So, I don't, like, Zion Williamson, again, he, again, he's too big, and I just don't think he gives a shit. I don't. I just, I really don't think it. Again, I'm not going to say he's going to be out the league in two or three years. No, his talent will keep him in the, in the league for a decade or so, but again, the injuries will keep coming. He'll be playing, any, you know, 40 to 60 games a year. Pops at 60, probably. And you'll be, he's going to be on a list of players of what could have been, what might have been, if he, if, if he didn't get hurt, if he was committed to fitness, if, if, if. He's going to be an if candidate. For, he's going to be one of the all-time if guys uh, with his set done, if he, st- if he stays on his current path. I, th- I promise you. Again, you're too young for us to be talking about your conditioning. It's just, it's just too it, that like come on. That's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. Again, you will not. This will be the last of 2023 that you will hear from me kind of live. But this will not be the last time in 2023 that you hear my voice on this on on various platforms: Spotify, iHeart, Apple iTunes, YouTube, uh, my YouTube channel. So. Have a great rest of your week and have a great, great, great holiday season. I will see you in 20, God willing, in 2020, in 2024. So long.